I don't know if that sounds like any dads here, but uh, that's the whole story constantly and ongoingly, isn't it? You know, in our day, right, means we were tougher, we were badder, the life was tougher. I had a friend who actually uh, got in a car accident, went home, told his dad, oh, somebody must have hit me in the parking lot. His dad went out to pull out some splinters out of the telephone pole he hit, and so it must have been a covered wagon. Life always seems to be tougher in the past. I'd like you to take a look at the top of your notes and say, in my day, right? In my day, as we get ready to go back to the time of Noah, you know what really would not be an exaggeration to say it was tougher. It was, it was badder. It was a much more difficult time in his day. You know, we go back to those days, and if you, you go to the sixth chapter, I have some references in your notes there. Verse 3, I mean... Chapter 6 starts out, and it's not a happy place. Jesus says, God says, My spirit will not contend with human beings forever. Verse 6, he goes on to say some words you don't often hear him say, till the Lord regretted that he made human beings. And his heart was deeply troubled. It was a tough time. It was was a really tough time. This is about 2,000 years after Adam and Eve. This is about 2,000 years into it, and it's not looking too good. Now, there are those who think that, well, Noah is just a a story or an allegory. Uh, I would give you a couple different proofs to make sure that uh, you might rethink that. Because in Luke, the third chapter, the genealogy of Joseph, the father, supposedly, of Jesus, has Noah. Do you discount every other name in that genealogy? And here's a reference to Jesus. Uh, you have it right there in your notes in Luke 17, referring back to the same thing happening in the days of, of Noah. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying, being married, given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. In other words, it was just everything was going along the way it always had been, according to what they thought. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. Bammo. Jesus gave a text, a proof, evidence to the fact that he believed Noah was a real person. And do you notice that uh, recently, uh, if you watch some secular history and you look at some of the scientists, they're all talking about there being some type of a worldwide flood. And the reason they're doing that now more than ever is because they find marine fossils on every continent on earth. Marine fossils. Up in deserts and places almost as if there would have been this type of flood. Uh, Could I take a look today at uh, uh, Genesis, the sixth chapter? We're going to take a look at uh, verse 9 and on, and I want to make several points that I see from the Scriptures that I think that are pretty plain to us. We can see God's way, because why do we read the Old Testament? What does it tell us about the stories we read? We read it to learn something about how God interacted with His people and what God was doing. So number one, if you'd fill it in with me, God walked with Noah. In the midst of the opening eight verses, it is really a rebellious, difficult time. You read it. It's talking about marriage, and it's talking about sexuality, and it's talking about all kinds of things. It just is a mess. And in the midst of that, it says in verse 9, this is the account of Noah and his family. I'm really kind of doing you an injustice by not reading the first eight verses, but it was bad news. Here's Noah. Here's his family. Noah was a righteous man, 
blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And I know that the reference here says that Noah walked with God, but I just put it on the, because it is just as true that God walked with Noah. And the truth of the matter is, is what you learn from Noah here, you learn all throughout the Bible. God will walk with anyone who will walk with him. If it's Abraham, if it's Moses, if it's Mary, whoever it might be, Noah in some sense is special, and in another sense he's not special at all. He's special because in the midst of this chaos, he just said, you know, I'm not going to be like everybody else. In the midst of this, he's special. And that's, he's, uh, he's, anyone, it tells us that anyone who is alive, the story of Moses is in the midst of chaos, in the midst of what's going on, in the midst of evil, Noah didn't blend in. Are you blending in where you're at? Are you blending in in the neighborhood? Are you blending in like the rest of the crowd that is going on? Everybody else is blending in except Noah and his three sons and daughter-in-laws. Eight people. I mean, Noah had a reason. He could have been one of those ones that said, nobody else is living for God. Everybody else is living wickedly and corruptly. Nobody else is walking with God. He had every excuse. It's kind of like we hear today, you know. Nobody else is going to church every week. Nobody else is tithing. Nobody else is going to Bible study. Be careful that you don't let what others are doing dictate and you just try to blend in. Be careful you don't use other people's example as an excuse not to do what the Scriptures clearly teach. What Noah had, we can have. A walking, walking, walking relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. God walked with Noah and Noah walked with God. Number two is that God saw the violence. I think that you'll see here in just a minute, this was just a little bit different than the whole corruption thing. And so he goes from the story of Noah and he goes to tell everybody else about this other side of what was going on on the earth. And there's this contrast, you know, kind of like when I was in grade school, you know, there was this contrast. We had the smart kids and the dumb kids. We didn't call it the smart class and the dumb class. They created something called, I think, the J class and the L class. The J classrooms were the smart ones. The L must have stood for losers because that was the class I was in. I, I couldn't sit still, let alone try to learn by sitting still. So, you know, they weren't fooling anybody. Everybody knew who the smart ones and the dumb ones were. Look at the contrast. He opens up and he talks about Noah and then he goes to verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt. Now that's a little bit different than somebody walking righteous. The earth is corrupt in God's sight and was, look at the edge. Uh, uh, was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Three different times the word corrupted is used, and it draws us in here to see, look at the words, in God's sight. God's looking at the world. God saw Noah. God saw the rest of the world, and in his judgment, and in he's the one who calls was right. This is one of the things I talk about an awful lot. Be careful not to create God in your image and say, oh, God would never do that. We don't make that decision. We look at the scriptures. We t- there may be some things that we see God doing we don't understand, and that's much better than saying, oh, no, God would never do that. Because he's about to do something that the really uh, soft Christians of America say would, would never say he would do. And the question is, is how are we in regards to all of the, the earth is corrupt? Folks, the earth had been corrupt since Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve had fallen, there was corruption. The sinful nature had gone through. And what I see here, and you're going to see this again, is this word that was added, it was full 
of violence. The word violence here is the word for ferocious and forceful. This is a, a corruption that goes just beyond being this, you know, it, it's like people weren't enough just cheating and, and, and conniving. They were getting violent about it. They were getting riotous about it. And God's like, you know, it's just getting too far. Uh, corruption wasn't enough. They, they just, they said, they had to be violent about the whole thing. Look at the ending of that verse there in uh, verse 12 where it says that they had corrupted their ways. All those on earth had corrupted their ways. A very, very subtle way of saying this is their fault. The blame is on them. The contrast and comparison. They had everything that Noah had, every ability Noah had, every chance, everything Noah knew that they would have. And matter of fact, you read the scriptures, the Bible says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He didn't keep it to himself. He would preach and he would uh, uh, preach and preach and whatever he lived, he preached to other people. The contrast is Noah walked with God and all the people on earth were corrupt and full of violence. Number three, God makes his ways known. God makes his ways known. You know, there's a lot of people that think that God has this secret society. There's some crazy movies out there, right? The Da Vinci Code. Oh, there's another one about all the numerical numbers. and This is the code to crack the Bible. Hogwash. God is not... You, have you opened the Bible? Have you read it? Are we not seeing how God is going to cr- uh, treat people who are righteous and walk with Him and those who don't walk with Him? And they were taking a look. God makes His way known. Look at verse 13. God said to Noah. God said to Noah, right? He's made his way. I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is, look at this word, filled. The other one was full. This one, it's filled with violence because of them. Noah got to hear God speak. I don't know if it was audibly or however we got to hear it. And oftentimes people say, well, if I could just hear Jesus speak. You know, you and I, you know this already, you and I have something Noah dreamed and wished he had. I don't even know if it was in his heart or in his sight or whatever, but we have a Bible full of 66 books that the world has tried to say is inaccurate and couldn't possibly be God's word, but they haven't been able to do it. God can protect his word. If he wants us to have it, as much as is out there on the World Wide Web, they can't tear it down. I believe it's still the number one best-selling book. God makes his way known. God told Noah his plans. He's told anyone who would listen with the prophets and everybody leading up to Christ, I'm going to send a Savior. He's made his plans known. I understand that there are certain places and times we need to find guidance and direction. But when it comes to drowning or being saved, he's made his way, he's made his way plain. Very plain. He's let us know what his plans are. If we want to be responsible with our possessions, we take the things that we have, I know in our house, and we have a plan. We make our plans known through a living will or a trust or whatever it is. We make it known so that when we're not here, people will know, most especially our three children. We want people to know, and we make our way known. And the only question no one wants to know, maybe I'm thinking about, is okay, well, you're going to destroy everything. It's full of violence. What about me and my family? Maybe you didn't think that, but God is current, this I know. Noah and his situation applied for him, and it does apply for us to learn a lesson, but God is current. The words spoken to Noah, Noah, Noah doesn't need an ark, and neither do you and I. We do not need an ark. We have a Savior. 
We'll talk about it a little bit more. God makes his way known. God is current. No one doesn't really need to know God's plans, but you do, and you can. The question is, do you? I want to ask you a question. I want you to ponder, where are you at with Christ? And 25 years old, I came to an altar, dedicated my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's all, let me see the hand of every person here that's come to the altar and Jesus Christ has changed you. Let me see you. Look at all the people come to an altar. It's a wonderful place to be. Don't be afraid of it. If God calls you today to come and to spend time at the altar, will you trust and obey? Or will you resist? Number four, God keeps his sure promises. His sure promises. I don't know if you've ever made a promise that you shouldn't have made. You ever done that? Make a promise to your kids. Make a promise. You, you shouldn't have made it. You thought about it, and it didn't happen. You, you know, you're going to be safe no matter what, and, just, and, it, and they weren't. You're going to be healed no matter what, and they weren't. You ever made a promise you shouldn't have kept? God never does that. Look at, look at this promise. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Most of the time, we, we, we love the positive promises, right? Jehovah Jireh, he's providing a job for me. Guidance and direction, he promises to lead me and guide me. He promises all these wonderful promises. Here's a not so popular promise. I'm going to destroy. I'm going to destroy these people. I'm going to destroy the earth. God speaks plainly and people still don't want to believe him. There's this thing going around now. It's been going along for years, and it seems to go up and down. Christians are talking about the fact that there's no such a place as hell. And you may encounter somebody with this teaching, and they'll sound really wonderful and wise, and they'll tell you a part truth, and they'll say that the word in the Bible in the New Testament is not hell. And they'd be right. Most of the time it's the word Gehenna. And the word Gehenna is the word for the garbage heap outside of Jerusalem. Remember Jesus died outside, not inside, no, no, no defilement. Out, the garbage heap, Gehenna, burns 24-7, 365. The worms crawl in and out. It's, it's a filthy, nasty place. And they're going to try to convince you God's really not going to send anybody to hell. Surely there's no... And this passage of Scripture, God says, I am, look at the word, surely going to destroy both them and that. Nobody wants to think about God doling out justice to sinners and to those who break their promise and to those who lie and cheat. Probably everybody here, you've had chores and, and, and a job, but maybe when you were young, maybe now that you're with your, you know, you have a, a job, whatever it might be, and like, Growing up, we all had tasks. We all had jobs, and I, one of mine was on Fridays to make sure the garbage got out before the garbage man got there. And I continued to forget, forget, and I had gotten in trouble a little bit. So one Friday when I had forgot, I heard the garbage man coming by, and I forgot. And so I ran out there, and I missed him. So I took the two bags of garbage that we had. I took them up to Dr. Baldwin, an optometrist, at the top of our street in 219 in Euclid. He had this field, and the grass was about that high. I figured I'd just toss them in there. Nobody will ever see them. Next day, my dad says, hey, did you, did you take the garbage out? Yeah, Dad. I mean, I took the garbage out. He said, well, then why did Dr. Baldwin call me and say that they were in the back of his field? See, what I didn't realize is when you throw your garbage out, most especially you didn't shred your mail, 
All my parents' mail, they, they tossed out, was in there. They opened it up. Well, there's Dick and Deanna Nunnally. I got in double trouble for lying and for not doing my task and my chores. But my dad made a promise that he'd punish. And God, throughout the Scriptures, he lovingly calls us to him. But as sure as heaven's a, a real place, hell is a real place. The question is, here's a flood that's coming. We think we can get away with it. I surely got caught and double punished, and God has surely said, the, and you know the end of the story. You know the rest of the story. You know the flood came. God kept his promise. He surely deluged the planet and the earth, and there are fossils all over this world that give credit and give credence to the truth of this. Any of you here ever been to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky? Yeah, it's built basically according to the dimensions that are given in the scriptures, you know. And people talk all the time, you know, oh, well, you couldn't have really gotten all of the animals on it. Well, that's actually been proven wrong. Do you know from two canine you can get every type of wolf, every kind of coyote, every kind of dog, and on and on and on it goes? Just from the genetics in those two animals, male and female, you can get every strain of that because of the genetic code that God put inside. So you put small animals on the ark and we see that it's happened, what it said is true. Because number five is that God provided a life jacket, everybody. You see that? Now, and you may know this and you may not know this, but if you are in Lake Erie and you are 11 and under, you have to have a life jacket if you're on a boat on. If you're an adult, you don't have to have it on. You have to have it if you're walking on a dock. You have to walk wear it if you're in an inner tube. And here's something I found out just doing a little research. If you're on a river bank and you're 11 or under, you have to have a life jacket on. Now, if you come on our boat, we provide you with a life jacket. You can bring yours if you want, but we provide. And I look at this passage of Scripture, verse 14, and I see that God provided a life jacket, something he's been doing for a millennium. Verse 14, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. For Noah and his family, they had to build a boat. It was an ark. Interesting, interesting word. The word, if you do a little research, I did. It's the word for vessel, a vessel on the water. And the word here is used of Noah. When you getting in an ark and being literally the one who was saved from drowning, and the word is also used in regards to Moses, the ark or the basket that he was laid in when he was put in the river Nile. And what did, what did, what did Moses do? Came back and set free the slaves. All of these pictures of what God making, you know, providing a life jacket throughout the Bible, God has thrown out rescue devices. He's thrown out the ark. He's thrown out the basket. And he's given us his son, Jesus Christ. Are you sure you are saved? Have you gotten to the place where you've slid back a little bit? And today, the Spirit of God is just saying, you know, you just need to get back and get right. You need to get back and get right. You need to stop worrying about the, what the rest of the world is doing. And listen to the Spirit of God as he speaks to you today. Noah was told to do the only thing that he could do to save him. And the only thing that can save you, the only one who can save you, is Jesus. 
That's the one thing that we have to preach to you today. It's Jesus Christ. The ark became God's provision to save the life of eight people. And all of us have come from them. The rest of the world was repopulated by those on that ark. And if you do some study in regards to population numbers and account for several wars, you'll find out it goes back right to about 4,000 years from today, right about that time. A lot of different proofs that are out there for those who really want to know. If you turn your notes over, I just go to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 7. Don't you love Hebrews, the 11th chapter? Just that chapter that you read and you get encouraged. You take a look at what people went through, their tenacity, their faith, and what had become of of them and those around them, whether God rescued them or not. The wonderful faith that they had, and look at verse uh, uh, number uh, uh, verse six. I'm sorry, <laughs> number six. Noah pleased God. Could you fill that in with me? Noah pleased God because look at verse seven. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, have we been warned about things not yet seen? Have you, read Matthew, have you read Matthew, the 25th chapter, two or three stories right in a row? Where at the end of them, people are knocking, trying to get in, and Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you, to where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Noah, by faith, was warned. We, I'm, I'm sure that there's this holy fear that has motivated all of us. So he says, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. See, faith is about what God says is true, and then action. That's why Noah is, is this man of righteousness, this example of it. It isn't that he didn't be, just believed about God, he did something about it. And that's the whole thought of spending some time at the altar, the fact that Jesus Christ would have hung publicly for you and for me, And we might let our pride keep us if the Spirit of God speaks to us to come to the altar. Noah's faith was seen in his actions. In this chapter, I forget, it might be verse 6, but in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God. For people to to know and believe like, like Noah did. Like you did, like I did. 25 years old, far from God. Oh, I was religious, but far from God. Heard the call of the Spirit of God through Pastor Dale, came to the altar, changed my life. Here I'm doing this, and it's all Pastor Dale's fault. I love the words, not yet seen. (laughs) They had never seen water. Well, would they, they didn't see water like this. I shouldn't say they never saw. They, they never saw water fall from the sky and come up from underground. They never seen anything like that. And we've never seen it, some things either. God says it and it makes it true. When has holy fear motivated you? <laughs> when has uh, uh, thinking about bad things been a good thing for you? There have been many, many people since Noah who have pleased God, by putting their faith in his son, Jesus Christ, he's the ark. He's the one who saves from drowning. He's the one who rescues those from weeping emotion and gnashing physical and eternity. 
Number seven, Noah condemned the world. Now, I know most of the time we think, well, isn't God the one that condemns the world? The passage says Noah condemned the world. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So the same faith that saved Noah left others behind. He believed God, and God proved what he said. About things not seen, he did what he needed to do, and God was true. And the rest of the world was definitely, definitely condemned. They were doomed. They wouldn't believe the same thing, the same opportunities that Noah had. Who would not walk with God that day were, were doomed to drown? All who put their faith in Jesus are also heirs of the path. That passage there that says that he's the heir of righteousness, it means you and I can be heirs too. Matter of fact, the New Testament tells us that. Don't you love the passage of Scripture? He's talking about by faith he condemned the world. Don't you love the passage in 1 Corinthians that says to those who are perishing, to those who are dying, we are the stench of death, but to those who are being saved, we are the fragrance of life. That's what it is. That's what it means to those who, man, it's just like, you know, you Christians, you get away from me. I don't like what you do. I don't like how you are. Noah's faith in action condemned the people of his day. And I have in your notes there bumper sticker theology. I don't know where you get your theology. I don't know how many times you've seen a bumper sticker and you thought, yes, that, that, I believe that, Yeah. Like a, a, one of the bumper stickers, I haven't seen it for a while, but it says, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. You know, the rapture comes, boom, you're gone. How would you like to be getting on an airplane? In case of rapture, this plane will be unmanned. It'll be flying on its own. How about this one? Somebody sent this to me in a text. Do you follow Jesus this close? That must be a tailgater. Here's one I personally saw the other day. God loves you, no exceptions. Is that true? What do we derive from that? God loves you, no exceptions. Is that where we get our theology? No exception, what does that mean? Everybody's going to heaven because that's what they're saying. How would you have liked to have Noah have a big bumper sticker and he puts it on the ark? God loves everyone, no exception. All these people are like, let us in! How would that fit? Can I ask you where you get your theology? Are you in the Word? Are you understanding? Are you believing something that you've been warned about? And have you done anything about it? Would you come to the altar? Would you spend time at the altar with Jesus today, letting him know that Jesus showed up? He said, here's the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. In your, in your notes, the asterisk is basically a quote from Jesus. It says Matthew 24, 25, so that's pretty easy to find. Matthew 24, 25, he's talking about the time when it's going to be a terrible time. He's talking and he says, you know, if you're pregnant, you, you wish you weren't pregnant at that time. Flee to the hills. It's going to be a bad time. And, it's, and he goes on and on and then he says these words. And I think the words are there for you and for me today. It certainly would have been the same words in Noah's days. See, I have told you ahead of time I told you ahead of time I told you before you needed to know Noah was told ahead of time all the people would know ahead of time who among us here have been moved by faith to get saved to spend some time at an altar with our Savior Jesus Christ 
been to the altar many times since for sanctification and other things. If I could ask the worship team to come. We sang a song at the cross, folks. That's the place where Jesus Christ came. That's the place where Jesus Christ defeated death. That's the place where he paid for our sins. At the cross. And the question today is, as we sing and as we worship, is the Spirit of God speaking to you to come to the altar? If I could have the lights also for me, just dim there. If you could just begin to play whenever you're ready there. You know, at the cross. What is the Spirit of God saying to you today? Do you need to come to the altar? Will you listen to what the Spirit says today? As surely as all of those people were pounding and pounding to try to possibly get inside the ark, that will be the picture of many people. Jesus, as far as I know, talked about hell more than any other individual in the Scriptures. Now, do we believe him? And are you so confident that you don't just maybe need to renew that? Or maybe come and give your life to Christ for the very first time? Don't play the game. The ark, it's already been built. Somebody built it for you. His name is Jesus Christ. Would you stand and worship? And as the Spirit speaks to you, you come. You spend some time at the altar. There's Bibles up here. Take a Bible. There's a compass up there. Take a compass signifying that Jesus Christ is going to give you guidance and direction. You sing and you worship with us. And you come as the Spirit leads you.